Good evening and welcome to another edition of Rev. My name is Lori Enright and we are so excited that you've joined us for the next 30 minutes. At any time, if you have any questions you'd like for us to answer, send us a quick email to rev, R-E-V, at eaglecountryonline.com. Special thanks to Mark Kreimer and our friends at Kreimer's Beer House for making the show possible. Visit the Beer House for lunch or dinner seven days a week on State Route 128 in Cleves. Hey, David Vaughn here, Lori Enright. Welcome to another edition of Rev Radio. It's Sunday night, October the 20th. Fall is here. In fact, Lori may have gone straight to winter. And, you know, I love this season. It's awesome. And I love this season at church because we're covering uh, some really relevant stuff going on in our church. Before I get to that, I want to thank Mark Kramer for sponsoring our show every week. He's been very faithful. If you haven't been down there, German time, man, as outdoor space is used, fireplaces. I've had steak. I've had fish. It's all good down there. Get warm and cozy. Get, get some spiced get apples. Warm. Yes. Get, yeah, pumpkin spice mm. is in the air. But uh, We're not sure you can get that at Crimer's, though. Probably but not. But you can try. Smell, yeah, I, I'll try. <laughs> I, I'll speak into it. But anyway, it's our pleasure to come to you every Sunday night and talk about issues and things that are on our mind and hopefully uh, make a difference in your life and revolutionize that, rev up your week if we could. And so uh, for tonight's show, rather than me talk, I want you to hear from a special, a really special speaker that we had uh, come through our church family not long ago and shared his story, his testimony. Uh, John Tezovich is just an awesome Awesome guy, and he spoke out at Whitewater on Thursday and Sunday morning. Don't forget Thursday night, y'all. We're still going strong. 5.30 meal, 6.30 service if you want to come on Thursday, uh, Sunday, 9.30, 11.15. But John's here, so I'm just going to uh, turn it over to John, and I want you to hear a portion of his message, uh, and then Lori and I will come back and unpack it just for a few minutes. Listen to John. So I am a diehard Browns fan. Um, I In high school and growing up, I... I played all the sports, you know, I, I played basketball and football and ran track and, and I wasn't excellent at them, but I could hang, but I wasn't going to get any scholarships. Uh, growing up, I did not know Jesus. I didn't grow up in the church. I am what uh, churchy people would call, I am a prodigal, as you'll hear later. Um, and so I didn't know Jesus. I was a, I was a mother creaster, Mother's Day, Christmas, and Easter. At best, I was a mother creaster, all right, all right? That's who I was. Um, in high school, I did find out that I was actually pretty talented in this thing called theater. And so I, uh, I realized that this is something I could excel at. And so you can imagine the day when I went home and I, and, and I had this big announcement to my dad and I said, Dad, I am quitting football, basketball, and track and I'm gonna be a thespian. It was a great day in the Tizovich house. That was awesome. Also in high school, unfortunately, uh, I had to deal with a lot of tragedy. Um, several family members died suddenly um, that left a, a huge wound in our family. And then one day in my senior year, I came home and I found my best friend after he had committed suicide. I, um, I was a mess, as you can imagine. Uh, shortly after, I escaped to New York City to pursue a career in theater. I did not have a typical 
struggling actor journey in New York City. Uh, I was very fortunate after only a couple months of auditioning for shows, I landed the lead role in the Broadway national tour of a show called Titanic and my career took off. I jumped from one show to the next, to the next, to the next. But throughout this entire time, remember, there's no Jesus, there's no spiritual foundation in my life. And so throughout this entire time, I had this gaping hole in me, this God-shaped hole that, that I was trying to fill with everything that all the success in the world from a 21-year-old being paid really well to travel the country, I had access to everything and anyone, and I tried everything and anyone to fill that hole in my life. It wasn't long until things started to go south really fast. By the time I got into a national tour uh, by the a show called The Name of Rent, I um, had developed a full-blown cocaine addiction. I ended up moving back to Ohio, thinking that that would be the magical cure. It didn't work. <laughs> I ended up getting worse and worse, and my life spiraled out of control, losing everything and eventually being incarcerated. And when I say losing everything, I, I mean everything. In a 12-month period, I went from traveling around the country performing on America's greatest stages, including the Arnoff Center here in Cincinnati. 12 months later, I am in an eight by eight cell, broken, broken, with less than $5 to my name. On a brighter note, well, that's a Debbie Downer. You could hear that just the air went out of the room, right? Like, oh gosh, where's Jesus? Where's hope, right? On a brighter note, when I moved back to Ohio, I ran into this young lady that I had a crush on in high school, who now just so happens to be my courageous, beautiful, world-changing wife. And so her name is Kelly. Yeah, you can clap for her, yeah. And so for whatever reason, my wife Kelly decided to stick with me throughout this entire ordeal. And I remember one day Kelly coming to visit me while I was locked up. That's an awesome experience. And she said to me, John, if you want this relationship to last, you're gonna have to get your crap together. And she didn't say crap, but I'm keeping it PG so the churchy people don't judge me more than they already are. So she said, you want to get your crap together? And I said, and some of you are judging me for crap, so that's fine. We'll, we'll get over it together. And she said, like, John, I'm serious. And I said, okay, fine. She goes, no, I'm serious. One of the things that I need you to do is I need you to go to church. And I said, yeah, right. Church is just for a bunch of, like, judgmental hypocrites, like, self-righteous, like, no way. I am not going to church. She said, I'm serious. Go to church or this is over. Well, my mama didn't raise no fool, and so I didn't want to lose her. I went to church. I had a good one, my good wife. And I went to church, this church up north called River Tree Christian Church. And the first service I went to there, I came in, and I always look over here because I was sitting like in that section up at that church. And the pastor got up and he shared this story from the Bible about a lost son returning home. And God wrecked me. I had never heard a story like that about God's unconditional love, a no matter what kind of love. And I just sat there and I just wept. I broke down. Soon after, I dedicated my life to Christ. My life started over. The, the senior pastor, he took, he took me under his wing and he started to mentor me 
I started to, uh, you know, to feel this, like what, I, what we would call now a calling. I started to feel this calling to go into ministry. So I started going through this training and studying and then I got, then I got ordained and, and I got married and we had two kids and, 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 and then I was asked to, to lead this, uh, this campus of our church and, and they trusted me. I don't know why, but they trusted my wife and I and, and we, we get, had this opportunity to lead this church and, and, and we were watching like hundreds and hundreds of people like, and their lives being changed and watch these stories of, of life transformation all around us and, and we're just like hanging on for dear life life to hang on for the ride. And, and, and then we were presented with this opportunity to pray about whether or not we would consider starting a ministry in San Francisco. And so after months of praying, Kelly and I decided we're going to do this. And so we packed up our entire lives into a U-Haul and we traveled 3,000 miles to San Francisco to start a new ministry. And I'd love to tell you all about the thousands of lives that were transformed because of God working through us and because of the decision we made. But after six short months of living as missionaries in San Francisco, our funding ran out, our project shut down, and I was driving the U-Haul truck 3,000 miles back to Ohio. And Kelly and I spent the next 18 months picking up the pieces of our lives. And I learned two things during this time. One, while I was in San Francisco in the 18 months that followed, I have never experienced a deeper depression and discouragement and anxiety than in my entire life. So there's that, you know, yay, the hashtag winning. Um, Second thing, second thing I know is I didn't give up. I didn't give up. And because I didn't give up, God used that season of discouragement to break me down, to to make me look at some things inside of me that needed to be looked at, to get under the hood and say, hey, you need to recognize this about yourself. We need to retool this. And he broke me down and he built me back up and he molded me into the next best version of me, the man he created me to be. And I look back now, and even though I wish things would have gone differently in San Francisco, I'm so grateful for that season. It didn't kill me. And, it didn't, and because it didn't kill me, that means that God still had more work he wanted to do through me. And so for anyone out there, that you're walking through one of these seasons where, where you feel like it is just one thing after another, and you are in that pit of discouragement, hang on. Hang on. God's not done with you yet. He's not giving up on you. His word says that he will never leave you and he will never abandon you. That season didn't kill me. That season made me stronger. That season didn't kill me. That season made me bolder. It made me wiser. And if he did it for me, trust me, he will do it for you. You're on the verge of a breakthrough, even though you're in the midst of a breakdown. And that is a little bit about me. Yeah, you know. It's a little bit, a little tease. It's a little bit about me, about who I am. How's our first date going? Hey! I don't know if there'll be a second date, let's be clear. Because of you, not me. I'm, a, I'm in. I'm all in. You know, it, it is kind of weird, right? I started, like, looking around, and some of your eyeballs got really big when I said cocaine and incarcerated. <laughs> I thought I was going to lose you, right? But you didn't. I'm glad you stayed. 
The rest of the time I do, I want to jump into our series, week two, high stakes. I hope you're ready. Uh, David did an excellent job setting up this series last week. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Jude. And some of you are like, hey, Jude, that's in the Bible? Yes, Jude, it's all the way in the back of the Bible. I'm going to be in verses three and four if you want to follow along with me. Um, When David asked me to preach and to share and to be here on the weekend, I was like, absolutely, man, I'd be honored. That's awesome. Thanks for thinking of me. And and then I found out what scripture I was going to be preaching on. And I was like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) Dude, really? Nobody even knows that it's in the Bible, right? And the people that do know it's in the Bible, those are those weird churchy people that nobody really wants to hang out with, right? Let's just be honest. All right. Is that too real? Is that too honest? Listen, if you haven't already figured it out, I don't care, all right? (laughs) I am like just really, I I only have a limited time left on this planet, really. I am in the third quarter of my life at best. But he's got a plan for my life. He, He saved me from my old life, not so I could do my own thing. We all saw how that went. (laughs) But so that I could be in some way a small part of his thing. Because I know that he wants to use me, he wants to use all of us in some small way to be a part of his redemption plan for all of humanity. And see, there's a lot of people out there, right outside these walls and in here, sitting in these seats that are hurting. Some quietly, some loudly. Some have built up an amazing way to put up a great facade and some are bleeding openly in front of us people in our families, people in our communities that that are desperate, that don't have hope, people who are literally right now in our spheres of influence who are considering giving up, ending it. And they need real women and men that are willing to, to get into the messiness of the trenches of life, offering relationship and not religion. There are people right now praying for a miracle. Guess what, church? We are it. We are the miracle. We're the answer to those prayers. The body of Christ, his bride, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to stop just offering up our thoughts and prayers and actually show up like Jesus did. He said, go and make, not sit and soak. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Where are we in Jude? Oh, you'll see why I'm fired up. Jude is a scathing letter, man. It is, I'm gonna beat up the church because I care about the church letter. Jude, week two, high stakes. It's one chapter, 26 verses. If you weren't here last week, David kicked it off. You can do what I did if you weren't here. I went online and I watched it. You can go to whitewatercrossing.org and watch last week's message. And we're talking about high stakes, that there is a high stakes life that we are called to live. And I love the high stakes vibe, right? You know, the whole casino poker thing. Raise of hands. Would you believe me if I told you I've never played poker or been to a casino? You should not believe me. That would be a lie. And I don't lie. One of my favorite memories of being in Vegas before before I was hanging out with Jesus, thank you very much, 
was I was very, I was so fortunate. I got to actually perform on the Las Vegas Strip in this show called Miss Saigon. And we were performing at the Aladdin Hotel and we just sat down there and just, it was incredible. And like when I wasn't performing, I, I, I would just wander, you know, just wander Vegas, wander through all like the incredible architecture of the casinos. And, and of course I'd go to the all-you-can-eat buffets and because I like to eat. And, and then, you know, I lost my wallet at the craps table. Um, but... The first time I was ever in Vegas was when my parents took me, um, you know, because that's what you do with your kids. We were on this cross-country vacation. Um, it was like the Griswold family vacation. We had this big hoopty van with wood paneling on the sides, and we're driving across country, and my dad, you know, if you remember a trip tick, I'm aging myself right now, um, from AAA, like we had that, and he was like, well, we gotta make a stop in Vegas. And I was like, oh, whatever that means, okay. Right, and so like, and cause he was like, I wanna try out the all-you-can-eat buffets. Cause, Tizovich boys like to eat. And so like, we're like, okay, fine. Well, I found out very quickly the all-you-can-eat buffets was not the only reason why my dad wanted to go to Vegas. Now, I can't tell you what happened on that trip to Vegas because, you know, what happens in Vegas? There it is. Turn with me to Jude, verse 3. Dear friends, Jude writes, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, he's writing to the church, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude, the definition of tough love. Jude is writing to his fellow believers, to the church, to his brothers and sisters in Christ that he loves. Other translations start verse three, instead of dear friends, it says, my beloved. He loves the church. And so he's writing to the church because he is seeing some things that he knows this is not okay. Things that he fears are gonna derail us from our mission as the church. And so he writes this letter to all of us, to all believers as a wake-up call. And I'm gonna be real transparent with you because I haven't already, I guess, enough. Um, I had a really hard time with this sermon. I was dealing with all sorts of, of distraction and discouragement and spiritual attack and, and battling all sorts of insecurities. Like I said, I, I watched David's sermon from last Sunday and I was like, man, aside from our barber, we are nothing alike. Like, I, like he, he preaches in a different way. His style is different. Like he's got so much more experience. He's so much more well-versed. And I'm just like, I, 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 I literally, I literally deleted my sermon almost 12 times trying to rewrite it in a way that would package it more like the way that he preaches so that thinking like if I preach like him, then, then his congregation will receive it a little easier. And I'm on the verge of a mental breakdown when God finally wakes me up and he's just whispers to me, just be you. Amen. Just be you. 
So can I just be myself? Is that cool? Yeah? Because I'm just going to be myself. And, and I'm sorry, like, if it's not how what you're used to. I'm sorry. You know, write letters to David, not me. And, and so, <laughs> he's going to love that. <laughs> sorry. I am so grateful. I got to make up for it now. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. <sighs> and I am, but you know what I'm more grateful for is actually the wrestling match that I had to go through to get to this point. Because here's the deal, and maybe, maybe, maybe somebody needs to hear this. As I continue to walk in the purpose of my life, I need to be reminded of the fact that the same God who, who hung the stars and the planets in the sky, the, the same God who like paints every sunrise and every sunset, that, that he saw the world and he said, I want a John Tizovich. Yeah, let me, let me make that. And he's saying that to each of us. It's like, I, 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 want, I, want, I want them. I'm going to make them. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be anybody but you. Because I made you to be you. Because this world needs you. You. With all your, mm, you know, we all got that. Mm. Yeah, with all of that, I made you, so be you. And so when I messed up John, look at the book of Jude, here are two things that jump out at me immediately when I look at this because of how I'm wired and my experiences with God. In, in verse three, when Jude writes, I am compelled to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Immediately, I am drawn to the phrase, contend for the faith. What does it mean to contend for the faith? Well, to contend means to fight for, to, to defend, to, to compete for. There is a life of faith that, that has been offered to us, that has been bought and paid for with a price, with blood. And to those of us who have received that gift of salvation, we have to fight for that every day. Why? Well, it's the other thing that jumps out to me in verse four. Jude writes, certain individuals, ungodly people have secretly slipped in among you. They pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our sovereign and Lord. The NLT Bible, it says it like this. Verse four, it says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The Apostle Paul, if you've ever heard of him, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, pretty sure it's 13 books, a little bit. He said, he, he said a similar warning in his book of Romans, Romans 6, 15, it says this. He says, well then, which is great, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not, he says. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You want to talk about high stakes? Here it is in simplified English because I'm a simple guy. Both Jude and Paul are giving a strong warning. Wake up, church. Kick to the person next to you. Tell them to wake up. No, really, go ahead, just kick him because one guy's sleeping. Just because you gave your life to Christ doesn't give you free reign to live however you want. Grace is not a get out of jail free card. 
We can either choose to be a slave to God or a slave to sin. One leads to death, one leads to righteousness. With this life, we actually get to bring kingdom to heaven. Heaven to king, heaven to earth. Yeah, there it is. And herein lies the high stakes. We've all been dealt a hand. We have. Some of us don't like our hand that we dealt with. We've all been dealt a hand and it's decision time. What are you going to do with the hand that you've been dealt with? With this life that you've been given? Back to my awesome family vacation to Vegas when I was a kid, I will share with you one thing that happened. My dad uh, took me to this hole in the wall casino, like off the strip, Real, like just nasty, like old 70s decor, like it reeked of smoke and desperation. And, and I remember like standing behind my dad because I didn't care if kids were in the casino at this point. And, 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 and he was sitting at this poker table and, and, and I learned a powerful thing at that casino that day. And there are few things more exciting than watching when someone goes all in, right? And I know none of you play poker, guaranteed. None of you play poker and none of you have ever been to a casino. So I'll elaborate for you. There's this moment in a poker game when someone can make a decision and put all their chips in, all their money, everything they have into the center of the table and they can bet everything on the hand that they've been dealt. Basically saying like, I believe in the cards that I am holding are going to beat everybody else's cards at the table. And the drama builds as it goes from one person to the next, to the next. And, but there's this interesting thing that happens when someone goes, all in. It forces everyone to make a decision. The power of all in. Going all in creates a chain reaction of events. Think about the last time that you went all in for something, not poker. When Jude talks about contending for the faith, Fighting for the faith, it requires an all-in with Jesus. But to do that, that requires us to shift our idea of who Jesus is because there's a lot of different versions of him out there. Who is he for you? Is he, is he warm and fuzzy, Jesus? Is he snuggy, Jesus? Warm on a, on a cold day, Jesus? Is he cutie pie Jesus, you know, holding the baby lamb? You know, is, is, is he seven pounds, seven ounces, golden diaper in a manger Christmas morning Jesus? Is he savior Jesus? You know, reaching out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and pulling you out of hell. I like that Jesus. But there's another Jesus that we need to lean into if we want to contend for this life of faith, if we want to go all in. And that's Jesus on the throne. Jesus, Lord, master, sovereign. Shifting from having Jesus as our savior to Jesus as master of my life, which is part of what Paul is talking about. Like we're gonna be a slave to somebody, to something. We're going to be a slave to, to whatever we choose to obey or whoever we choose to obey to whoever or whatever is sitting on the throne. So who's on the throne for you? Because we've all put somebody on the throne. 
We've all put somebody or something on the throne. Like for some of us, it's our spouse. And we think like, oh, you know, good intentions, that's great. That's not, her, that's not his or her chair. For some of us, we put our kids there or our boss or our bills or, or there's an addiction or, or, or a decision from our past or, or debt or success or, 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 or striving for fame or hoping for marriage or finding a soulmate, you know, or, or popularity or, or maintaining our well-manicured, over-filtered presence on social media like, or, or getting into the right college or finding the right job. Like we're all going to be a slave to something to whoever we put on the throne. See, going in all in for Jesus is more than a, a one-time prayer and a dunk in the water. You know the preaching's getting real good and hitting home when like it gets real quiet. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, dang, I'm stepping on all sorts of toes in here. <laughs> That's Holy Spirit conviction, not me. Sorry. Sorry, I don't control you or your life. That's not me. Going all in with Jesus means that, that that's his seat. Nobody else's. That's his throne. All right. Man, I've heard his message a couple of times, Lori, and I know that you were impacted by John's story on uh, talking about the high stakes life that we share in Jesus. Yeah, I think it's impossible not to get excited and worked up and revved up after that message. Um, I love how he reminds us that you know, when we're baptized, we are given grace and forgiveness, but we cannot stop there. That is not the end of it. That's that's just the beginning. So no, as you say, and he alluded to, no sitting and soaking. I think he said, go and be or go and see or yeah. something along those lines. So it's just motivational. I also was totally shocked when I heard him at church at the end of the service be so vulnerable to say that, you know, we get comfortable in our faith and we kind of fall out of it. And what do you say? Sloth, become sloth. Yeah, don't be a sloth. Don't be a sloth in your faith and how that was his first message that he had preached. And I don't know how long he didn't specify that, but it was just like, this was his new beginning too. And I think that, that, probably touched a lot of people for that to be there, even if they're practicing and faith-based and spiritual, but it's never too late for a new beginning. Boy, that's so true. I love his phrase too. I guess one of my favorite lines was, you know, that uh, sometimes you don't have a breakthrough until you have a breakdown. Yeah, I wrote that he wouldn't have had a breakthrough if he hadn't had a breakdown. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's the kind of business we're in as a church at Whitewater Crossing. John is the great, a great example of what can happen when you are uh, in a place where you need help and hope in a home. And that's what Whitewater provides. So thanks again for tuning in again uh, tonight for the Rev Radio Show. I hope you enjoyed John. For more of John and more speakers like John, come visit us or come visit our website, whitewatercrossing.org, and check on the Plan Your Visit page, and it would be awesome. And so uh, go see Mark, come see us, and we will talk to you next Sunday night again on the Rev Radio Show on your hometown radio station, Eagle Country 99.3. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Rev. David and I pray that this show has revved up your life, your faith, and your work week. Find out more about Sunday service times, youth programs, and how to plan your visit to Whitewater Crossing at whitewatercrossing.org and click on the New Here tab. Our show is blessed by Crimer's Beer House on State Route 128 in Cleves. I'm Lori Enright. Please join us next Sunday at 7 p.m. for Rev with Pastor David Vaughn, only on your hometown radio station, Eagle Country 99.3.